clock, thanks. Uh, I have been a Christian since I was 19 years old. I'm not going to do the math for you because I can't do it in my head as to how long that means I've been a Christian. But I got to tell you, it's a long time. And the point is, all that time, I can stand here in front of you right now and I can say this with just every part of my heart, believing it more so than the day I first discovered it. And that is that Christianity is amazing. It's not just amazing, it's astounding. What's the difference? If you have Jesus in your heart, if you have accepted him as Lord, if you have the Holy Spirit working in you, made you new, leading you in all things, if you are moving in your life as according to the will and the purpose that God had for you, then you are capable of the most extraordinary moments that can be conceived. I mean, you are capable, and I'm not talking about miracles here, actually. We're going almost the opposite direction of that. I'm talking about the fact that, that you can be in a situation and you can respond in a way that, yeah, there might be some way that you could find that somewhere else in the world, but it would be a rarity in the world that anybody would respond to that situation in that way. And yet in Christendom, it's almost commonplace. So very rare in the world, in Christianity, the way it actually happens, all the time. In the world, it doesn't even make sense to do it that way. It's just stupid. In Christianity, we see it happening all the time, and it transcends stupidity to glory. I'm going to show you something about that. This is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. This is, this year, 163,000 Christians will die simply because they're Christians. That's it. The reason why they'll die is because they're Christians, 163,000. And, and just so that we make it clear, so that we really get this, this is a new stat. Karen got it for me. I really love this one. I don't love this one, but it's interesting. You think religious persecution goes, cuts both ways? Do you realize that three out of four people who will die for their faith, die for religious reasons, three out of four will be Christians? In the world right now, Christians, very, very, very slight number of people being killed by Christians in wars, mostly in Africa and so on, where the Muslim-Christian tension is so great, but very few. And then there's some other religion on religion, but three out of four people in the world that will die for their faith are Christians. That says something. In fact, we're going to see exactly God saying that very same thing and what this is really all about, what the deeper thing behind it is. But let me just start us off by doing something here. I, I want to show you a clip, and I, I want to warn you right now because I showed some, I'm not showing any clips where people are, I'm going to show some reenactments. I'm warning you about there could be some graphic elements in this, but it wasn't. Uh, earlier I did one of these things and people got mad at me because I showed people being burned to death and I didn't warn anybody, so I'm warning you now. Only I don't have any of that this time, so I'm just warning you anyway, okay? There are some reenactments, but I just want you to hear and I want you to see this. So go ahead, guys. Thanks. Religious riots against Christians broke out in Jos, Nigeria on November 28, 2009. Muslims from all over the city and even surrounding communities roamed the streets, burning churches and homes and looking for Christians. They killed more than 500 people in two days. Hundreds of others were injured, some severely.
Yakubu Adu, 18, was shot in his brother's home. He survived, but he still has 20 metal fragments from the shotgun blast embedded in his body. VOM is helping to pay for his medical bills. Amazingly, Yakubu told us that he knows his would-be killer. What would you say to the person who shot you? Well, as I have said before, he's my friend. And I saw him when he shot me. When I was in the hospital, I called him and said to him that, wouldn't you come and greet me after all that you have done? You wanted to take my life and God has spared my life. Wouldn't you come and greet me? And he felt bad. When I was discharged, he came to my house and greeted me. Have you shared Christ with your friend? We talk about Christ a lot, about Christ, what Christ has been doing in my life for the past eight years, because I've given my life to Christ 2001. Mm. So I'll go under training, discipling for three days before going out to minister. How does your friend respond? I did. He didn't believe in my faith. So he only believed on what he, his teacher told him because he doesn't read the Quran directly. What is your hope for your friend? Well, I'm praying that God should talk to him in a special way so that he will understand. Do you talk about the fact that he shot you? No. I don't want to bring that topic to him because I know he would anoint him, he would drive him away. Now, let's just parse that for a second, all right? His friend shot him. He's the one that says, would you come and speak with me? Why, so he can kill him? So that he can pay him back? Vengeance is mine, save the person? No, the reason why he's asked him to come is because he wants to talk to him about God. Now, the part that blows me away about that clip, I don't know if you could hear it very well, but he says at the very end is, he says, she says, do you talk to him about the fact that he shot you? He says, no. Now, why? Well, because he might get mad and shoot me again. <laughs> That's not what he says. That's not where his heart is. I don't talk to him about the fact that he shot me because it could make him mad, so mad that it would drive him away. And I couldn't talk to him about Christ anymore. Think about that for a second. That is not a normal reaction to getting shot. <laughs> Are we all clear on this one? Can we all agree that asking the person that came to shoot you to come back, and you notice it is still tense, we argue about Christ. But he is still there for his friend? <laughs> he still calls him my friend? This is not normal stuff. How do you explain it? Let, let me, we're going to run one more. I want you to see this gal here. The Lao authorities see evangelical Christianity as a plot to undermine the communist revolution. During a recent fact-finding visit to Laos, Release International met Abigail, not her real name, whose husband was murdered for his faith. Abigail, whose identity we're protecting, is continuing her husband's work, looking after the churches he set up. He was away on church business when news came that his body had been found. He'd been brutally murdered. Uh, 
I was crying, crying, and crying, and I was asking God why He took my husband away. Even He is the one that the church and the people need more than me. Now Abigail has taken on her husband's work, caring for the Christians he brought to the Lord. Days after his death, she called for Christians in Laos to continue to fearlessly preach the gospel. Her message today is from Corinthians 13: Love keeps no record of any wrongs. But what if Abigail were to come face to face with her husband's killer? What would she tell him? I would tell him about the God's love. Even like I did something wrong, and then he always forgave me. So I would tell him I love him because God loves him too, and God will forgive him. Has plan for the church, especially for the people to grow up and become strong in the faith. To become strong in the faith is what she says at the end there. What would happen if you came face to face with your killers? You could see her reaction. Her reaction wasn't, you know, why. And her reaction wasn't all the things that we would think that would be part of. You would think how people would respond. Her reaction was, I would tell him that God loves him. And then she said the most extraordinary thing to me. She says, "I do things wrong, and God forgives me." I just think that's a weird place to go, <laughs> unless you're a Christian and you know that you've been forgiven. I'm telling you, we, we talk about trying to make sermons sticky here. So I hand out glasses last week, and we try and do things to make it stick with you, so you remember it longer than you know 15 minutes and lunch, right? Can you imagine a woman standing up before you and preaching the gospel and about forgiving all wrongs from the woman whose husband has been murdered? See it, but that's the truth of Christianity. That's the truth of when God gets a hold of our lives. This is the thing that comes out of us. It is a river of living water that is extraordinarily different. I, I want to just do one thing. I think we're back to my slides, right, guys? So I can click this. I, I just want you to see the very end of her thing. I want you to hear what she said again at the very end. They, they ask her, and then she says. Uh, Maybe I, here, that's my fault. Has plan for the church, especially for the people to grow up and become strong in the faith. It's time for the church to grow up <laughs> and become strong in their faith. Now, here's what I want to say. You know, we don't live in that culture and we don't live in that situation, and none of us are fearing for our lives because we believe in the Lord. But here's what I want to say. And so we could, I, this could be one of those condemning messages: get strong and all this kind of stuff. Here's what we're actually going to see today: we're going to see that God is the one who prepares you. Corey Ten Boom, who went through extraordinary things and once again had one of these unusual but commonplace reactions. And Corey Ten Boom, when somebody asked her, "How did you go through all that stuff?" and her reply was, she said, "You know, when you're a child." And you're going, about to go on a long trip. Here's what your dad does not do. He does not give you the ticket for the train, way in advance of when you're going to need it, because you could lose it. He said, "What he does is the dad gives you the ticket when it's time for you to use it." We're going to see how God gives us the ticket in an extraordinary way. So that's where we're headed. Is there somebody? Do we have somebody who's praying for us? Good, Mike Welch. This is great, Mike. Go for it. Where are you? I can't hardly see. <laughs> There you go. Hey, Mike. 
Thank you, guys. You're on, Mike. Yahweh, we come before you. In the name of your son, thou who art the God of the universe, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we are here to honor you. And we think of our brothers and sisters who are hurting today because they are our brothers and sisters. We ask you, Lord, to strengthen them. Keep them true to your back, even at the point of death, at the point of watching their children killed. We are so pampered here, Lord. We do not know what they're going through. We hear stories. We see pictures. But we have no concept of the pain that they are going through. So, Father, in Jesus' name, we ask you to strengthen them, lift them up. Amen. Open our eyes, Lord, as Kurt speaks this morning. If you speak to only one heart, speak to mine. Help me to know you, the God who cares about me, the God who cares about them. We ask you to bless this place, Lord, with your Holy Spirit today. Thank you, Lord. We ask you to remember Christ Church. Amen. In Kirkland, as they're Amen. lifting you up this morning, give them strength and guidance. Amen. Give us your guidance, for we are one. Amen. We give you all praise for all things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Mike, thank you. For, on behalf of all of us, thank you for that. Okay. Welcome to our series, Demystifying the Book of Revelation. I need to just take a really quick little sidebar right here. I want to say something. We're about to look at Revelations chapter 12. Revelations chapter 12 on Persecution Sunday. Now, I didn't, we didn't plan this out. We didn't, you know, a long time ago say, oh, there's going to be a persecuted church Sunday, and so we need to get to Revelations 12 in order to blah, blah. Instead, what happens is, is that we just go through as we're being led by the Lord, and the Lord orchestrates perfect harmony between the messages, the days, and all this kind of stuff. And we've watched this happen for year after year as God has done all kinds of things. But you're just going to see something in this, and I just want to say something. This is my sidebar. If God can take the sermons and line them up with the seasons and the days and the moments for a church life and for a national life and so on. If God can do that, then in your devotionals, he's also able to line up the word that you're in in that day to the moment that you're in in your life. And I just really want to make this clear. If you're doing devotionals, because that's reading scripture and praying, if you're doing devotionals and they're just sort of words on a page or just stories, but they're not speaking to your life, they're not applicable, then may I strongly recommend, and this is a push for soap two weeks in a row now, because I believe in soap, okay? And I don't do it necessarily the whole way that, that we do, but I want to say something. This is just that little thing, and we put it into motion last week, and I showed you how you can go right to our website. Those, these values down here, this bottom window is all about our six values, okay? And so there's resources down here to help you in the six things that we believe will help you become stronger, better Christian. And so soap is one of them. When you click on it, then you can just, you can click on these days and go right to the passage, 
Or you can just take that right there and just read the, what the passages are and take your own Bible if you like to do that more. And, and you can do that. But the bottom line is, is what I like about soap is, is that it gives you a way of interacting with the word that causes you to dig in more deeply. Okay? Now, I want to say that that's what we're going to be doing today. I, I've done this now two weeks in a row, and there's just, I've had sort of an ulterior motive. We've been doing, the, if you didn't hear last week's sermon, please get a hold of it and listen to it. It was really extraordinary what God did. But one of the things that we're doing is, is I want you to see something. Revelations, Revelation as a book is a hard book to understand, right? Everybody goes, yeah, yeah, it's a hard book to understand. You do realize that we've been in it now for not quite a year, but getting on to almost to a year, and it hasn't been hard at all. Last week, we went into one of the deepest, most difficult passages, one that, like I said, there's all kinds of controversy about and everything else, and we just broke it down and went right through it in a way that, that it's just not complicated. I'm not saying it's not difficult. I'm not saying you don't have to put some sweat equity into it, but I am saying something else. You don't have to be a scholar, and you don't have to have gone to school for a thousand years and read 1,500 books in order to get it. There is, if you've done a thousand years and 1,500 books, there is a depth still to be found in it, which is yet to, and we're going to see that in this passage too. There's places I could go today that would go way beyond what we need, way beyond just the, the you know, and all that kind of stuff. But the bottom line is I'm not going to do that. Instead, what I'm going to do is I want to show us yet once again today that every single person in this room, almost, if you just really don't know anything, then yeah, it'll be more difficult. But then just come to some sermons because you get a lot of meat here and you know what I mean? You'll pick it up quick and then talk to some friends and then do the soap this way and read some commentaries. And, and I tell you, within a few months, you'll be able to parse even this passage, which we're into the weird part of Revelation now. Okay, we got, you know, harlots on horses and, you know, all kinds of weird stuff taking place. And yet, what we do in this church is we ask this question, and this is not just for this sermon series, this is for everything in your life. We ask this question, what is God trying to communicate? In the circumstances of my life, in the word that I read every day, in the passages that we're going through, what's God trying to communicate? And when we keep asking that question, we come to revelation. Now, I just want to say something. I'm going to do something which I was asked not to do, and I just want to, my, my deference to those who have asked me not to do it, I'm going to try hard, okay? And I'm looking at one of them, and she's smiling, so I guess I'm okay. But now watch. Okay, I do something every once in a while. Like when we get into certain series and we get into certain places, I start asking, you know, you know now what does that remind you of? What's that bring to mind? And then somebody will bring up, well, it brings mind to this, and I'll kind of go, yeah, but that's not quite it. And they go, you know, that's really demeaning to that person. You shouldn't do that anymore. And there's other people, you know, that, you know, like there's some people in the world that when you're at like Tetro Zazzini or whatever that's called, when you're at one of these things where they bring people out of the audience, there's some people that really are okay with being brought out of the audience. They may not crave it, but they're okay with it happens. That's not me. I'm the one that's hiding in the back. Cut off my arm before somebody calls me out of the audience and does something to me. I hate it. Hate it. But I'm kind of doing that to you, aren't I? When I say, tell me about what this brings to mind. I'm kind of doing that to you, aren't I? Here's why. I, I, for years, I'd go to Minsk, Belarus, and I would teach Romans. And it was one of their highest rated classes, and, and people would love it, and they'd learn a lot and everything else. But I knew that they weren't owning it to the degree that they could. And so one year I got it in my head and I went, I'm not going to teach the book this year. I'm going to do Socratic method only. I'm never going to teach him one concept from the book. I'm just going to keep asking questions. Now there's only 30 people and it's a safe environment and they're going to know it's safe. 
But I'm going to ask these 30 people question after question until all of a sudden, one, you know, and you would see it over and over. They'd be, they, I'd be asking the questions, they'd be wrestling, and I'd go, no, but try this. And, and, they'd, and, they'd, and all of a sudden, it was like this collective light bulb would just go, bing. And everybody would go, oh, oh my gosh. That's what that means. And it was these moments of revelation. Can I tell you, I think that's what a walk with God is. Continual moments of revelation. That's why I'm talking about devotionals. I'm talking about sermon series. I'm talking about all this stuff. And I want to say that as I do this again today, and I try not to do it too much, but as I do it again today, what I'm trying to do is, even if you're not the one that's going to raise your hand because you don't want to be wrong or whatever, I don't care. It, but just still try and answer the question. Why? Because if you think, well, this, and then you're going to see, and all of a sudden, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to model just right now, I, I came home from Minsk after the first year I did it. I did it several more years after that. But after the first year I did it, and I tried to do it with the whole church. And it was just too tough. There's just too many people, and it, too many people didn't want to you know, look stupid and all that kind of stuff. So, but you catch the drift. There is this process that you can take the most difficult things of life, not just difficult scriptural passages. You can take the most difficult things of life, and if you continually stay focused on one particular question, you will get an answer. God, what are you trying to communicate? What are you saying to me? What do you want me to get out of this? If you do that, and you keep going after it, when you get the revelation, it won't be like, oh, that kind of makes sense. It'll be like, oh my gosh. Oh, wow. It'll bring life to you. That's what revelation does. It makes you go, whoa. <laughs> All right? So we're going to read the entire passage, and I want you to just be asking this question, and it'll be fairly obtuse going through the whole thing at once, but then we're going to come back to it and start breaking it down, and you're going to see this process unfold. We got it? Okay. Now, Starts off, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and, her head of, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. What are you trying to communicate, God? And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems, and his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. Nice, pretty little imagery. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled in the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she's to be nourished for 1260 days. Now a war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but they were defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who's called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. 
And when the dragon saw that he'd been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of the great eagle, so she flies away from the serpent into the wilderness to a place where she's nourished for time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. And then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. Now, just, just big context. Who wants to just hazard a guess? What's the big thing? You read the whole passage, it's a good way to, you know, whenever you're working a passage, read the whole passage first so you know what's in it. But would anybody like to hazard a guess? And if you don't, it's okay. Go ahead. Yeah, very much so, right? Battle against good and evil. It's not like that hard, right? There's good and there's evil and there's something going on in a battle, right? There's another theme that is very much along those same lines that's important, and I'm giving you a hint because it has to do with persecuted. So what would that other theme be? It's going to be persecution. <laughs> that was a pretty good hint, right? All right. Okay, so now, now let's take this. Again, what is God trying to communicate? Let's walk through this together. And we're not doing the whole passage, so don't worry. It's not going to be a four-hour sermon. It's just three and a half. Okay? <laughs> three and a half is that magic number, right? So how long things are supposed to be, right? Okay. Seven is actually the right number, so let's go for that. All right, here we go. A great sign appeared in heaven. Okay? What's that bring to mind? A sign appeared in heaven. A sign. Let's just do sign. What is a sign? What, what is a sign? What's that? It's good. It's good. I want you to just think about the word sign, though. Just, just the word sign. What does it mean? It's a symbol, right? Okay, perfect. See, this is, I tried to find the one going to Whistler because that would make me happy. This is the sign that's coming from Whistler. Okay, so I'm sad to see this sign. But you see, it's in Canada, and that's why the, you know, the, the First uh, Nations people. But anyway, Squamish, Vancouver, 13 kilometers, 77 kilometers. Now, if you saw that sign and you said, where I'm trying to get to is Vancouver, and now it says Vancouver, so I must be there. So you park and you hang out there. Are you going to experience Vancouver? No, it's not, a, right? This is pointing to something else. A sign points to something, Right? Okay, now when he says, a great sign appeared in heaven. A sign in heaven. Symbolic. Something's going to happen here. A drama is going to unfold here. And that drama itself is not uh, reality. It's a metaphor. It's standing in for it's a way of communicating. Here's what I love about poetry, and I don't love poetry. But here's what I love about poetry. Really good poetry communicates things that it would take books to communicate in a few words. They communicate layer and depth and nuance, don't they, right? Really good poetry, you read it, and all of a sudden you go, man, in just a few words, you just captured things that are very hard to put into words. But you captured it rightly. God is going to do an extraordinary thing in this chapter. In just a few words, he's going to give us the scope of human history. Not just the scope. Watch this. And again, this, I'm just giving you a little background here. 
remember, we've done 11 chapters now. In these 11 chapters, what we have seen is a very literal timeline rendering of what's going to happen in the world. Many people try and take it metaphorically, symbolically, and they don't hold to the orders and all that kind of stuff, and they'll try and, but the truth is, is we've gone through it, and we've shown you that there is, you know, from the time that Jesus is talking, or the, you know, John's writing down about the churches, which are actual churches, to what happens in heaven, to the seals being broken, that's a timeline that plays out, to then the interlude where there's 144,000 sealed and the church is raptured, and then there's the seven trumpets, right? And at the end of the trumpets, Daniel's 70th week kicks back in, and, and Jesus returns with the trumpet and the shout, just like it is in 10, and we, we've seen all this. These are very, this is a timeline. You literally can take history and lay it out on this timeline, there it is. But now all of a sudden in chapter 12, he says a great sign appeared in heaven. Here's what he's doing. God for 11 chapters has been telling us what is going to happen. He's now going to tell us why. And in order to do so, he goes to another framework. He's gonna come back to a timeline later when he goes to the bowls. But right now for about three or four chapters, he's gonna spend some time trying to make us understand the thing behind the thing. This is a sermon I did about a month ago now, and I probably should have waited and done it about now. But the bottom line is, is there's, a, there's a reason behind the thing that's bigger than what we see in the world. We're looking at the timeline as it plays out in the world with some heavenly aspects to it, but it really is the timeline of the world. And now what God is doing is he's coming and he's saying, after he's announced that Jesus has come back and so on, and there's still some bowls, but really what he's doing now is he's going, I need you to understand why all this stuff is happening. And that's what he's going to tell us here. Watch. Great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, on her head a crown of 12 stars. Let's break that down a little bit more. A woman. When scripture talks about a woman symbolically, not an actual woman, you know, Hannah or somebody. When it talks about a woman symbolically, what's it usually referring to? The church. Exactly. So it's usually referring to the bride right? Always remember something. If you're trying to understand what a guy means, look at another place where he's written about the same thing as close to it as you can. And here we have in chapters 20 and 21, the bride of Christ, a woman, okay? So it's the church. It's more than just the church the way we think of it, because right now we think of the church as Christians. It's more than that. We're going to see it, but watch. Clothed with the sun. What's that mean? Hazard a guess. Yeah. You see how hard this is? This is really hard. You really have to go to school a long time to figure out that clothed with the sun is something that's radiating, which is like God's glory that radiates, which is like the church that has God's presence in it and has to be radiating. Now, does the church radiate here on earth? Yes. But would you call it clothed with the sun? S-U-N, not S-O-N? Would you call it? You know what I mean? It doesn't... This is something a little bit more, and in fact, this is the next phrase that helps understand that. What, what would it mean when it says the moon under her feet? That's weird. What's it mean? Faithfulness is good, but, but just, just, just take it as simply as possible. The moon under her feet. What, what, what might that be communicating? What? Yes, which is another way of saying... Yes, which is another way of saying transcendent, more than. You see what he's talking about right here? He's describing the church the way he sees her. 
in her ultimate glory. See it? That's why the moon's her feet. Creation is at her foot. She's transcendent of all of physical creation. Do you see it? Radiating gloriously. That's who we really are. Right now, we got a lot of other stuff going on too that, that pollutes and perverts all that glory stuff. But the bottom line is, this is who God sees his church to be. A glorious woman radiating. Now, on her head, a crown of 12 stars. What's that referring to? What, what, just come to mind when you hear that kind of phrasing. What? Israel. I don't, I don't know who said it. Israel. A crown of 12 thorns. That's the, way, that's the way God always is talking about Israel. The nation of Israel. Oh, I see, say a lot of scholars, this whole verse now is not about the church and the Christians and anything like that. This is only about Israel, which is to misunderstand how symbolism works. Because here's what symbolism does, just like poetry does. It works on a whole lot of different levels at once. Clearly this passage, remember we looked at last time, it has a lot to do with the Jewish people. And clearly there's a very Jewish feel and, and whatever in this, but if we were to just take that last phrase out and just look at that woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, we would never get Israel from that. We would get his bride, the church. But now look how cool it is. His bride, the church, is not just Gentile Christians. That's the way we think about it. His bride, the church, is the Jews and the Gentiles. All of them who have come to God in fullness. That's who this woman is. Now again, she's going to operate at a whole lot of different levels in the symbolism of this to a degree that we're not going to be able to go into all of it. But the bottom line is, I want you to see, see, this is, the, this is a transcendent church that he's talking about. And then he's going to start talking about its application. So, now, she was pregnant and was crying out in birth pangs and the agony of giving birth. Go ahead. What's that bringing to mind? Bringing, she's in agony, bringing to birth. We read what it, what's coming to in a second. What's that bringing to mind? The church is giving birth to what? Yes. Okay. And in a few verses, we're going to see exactly he's talking about the one who, who will rule with an iron rod, with an iron scepter, right? Okay. But does it bring something else to mind? Remember, it's, there's different levels. So it's clearly about Christ. But when you hear about birth pangs and laboring and trying to birth something, does that remind you of another place in Scripture? Genesis is good. Romans. See? Romans. Well, here's how it says it. In fact, it says it exactly, doesn't it? Watch. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. Here's what that means, and we know this. It says this right before it. The bottom line is, here's what happens. See, Christians, God made man. He made, all, excuse me, let me get in order. God made all of creation. Then he made man. Then he gave all of creation to man. In the garden, we gave it to Satan. Since that time, it's been subject to corruption, perversion, decay. The, the physical manifestation of the spiritual reality is earthquakes, floods, volcanoes, things that kill people. A world that's falling apart, decaying, and that's dangerous. But that's not what God made, is it? What he made was a garden, a place where there was no death. That was his intent. And so now that the creation has been subjected to futility, 
to this thing, then what happens is the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death. We're going to be set free from this body of death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So you see, when that, remember we talk about symbolism, it's working on different levels at one time. When he says the woman is giving birth, there's two levels on which that's working. One is clearly Christ, who is the savior of the world, who's the one that brings to pass the ability for it to all be redeemed. But it's also talking about, it's the woman. Now listen to this, because this is you. This is us. The woman is also the one, as she goes through what she's supposed to go through, that brings forth the freedom from the decay. Adam and Eve gave it to Satan. God is buying it back one Christian at a time. Now, in truth, he bought it back fully in Christ alone. But it's the Christians that are going through Christ doing what has become commonplace, despite the fact that it seems, that it's rare and that it seems odd. That's how he's buying it back. The church, as she manifests Christ, is manifesting the new birth the new heaven and the new earth. Cool, huh? Now, it takes a while to get there, okay? I'm not just telling you, read this one time and ask yourself a question, and okay. You, you know, you gotta, there's a lot of times when you just don't get something. Don't ever skip over something you don't get. That's where the richness is to be found. In worship today, Amy, they did that last song. And in that last song, there was a moment and I went to him and I said, that moment right there, figure out what that was and figure out how to grow it. Don't just do worship and then do a technique of having two people sing a song. God came and did something. As you gave up the leadership of the song, as you let something happen and that was, that was charitable on your part, that wasn't about you, as you did something there, God came and said, not only is that cool, but I'm going to touch it. I'm going to make it. I'm going to give you something that if you'll keep exploring that, it'll go to a really cool place. And when you get it, like I say, you're not going to wonder when you get revelation. Because when you get revelation, it's the light bulb. You know, where does a, that little comic light bulb, where does that come from? That's what it feels like. When you get a revelation, it's like, oh, <laughs> I see. Okay? So she was praying to crying out in birth pangs in the agony of giving birth. Another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon, seven heads, ten horns, on his head seven diadems. What's that remind you of? What's that sound like? When he talks about heads and diadems and horns, horns is power and all, what's he talking about? Yeah, worldly kingdoms. Okay, so now here's what he's saying though. What's God trying to communicate here? There are worldly kingdoms, not all of them, but there are worldly kingdoms that are in the world that are being motivated by Satan. That's what's being communicated. There isn't evil in the world. Don't just think that power corrupts absolutely and so kings, when they get powerful, are bad people. Don't just think it's not nothing. It, it, it really is the old, you know, the devil made me do it. There really is an aspect of that in life. His tail swept down the third of the stars of heaven and cast them to earth. What's that remind you of? 
the fall of Satan and taking angels with him. Okay? He said, worship me. Some did. All right? And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who's to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. Who's that? But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Who is that? Okay? She gave birth to a male child so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. You do realize that we have like this little picture. Does that, does the idea of a child being born and someone trying to kill it, devour it, does that, does that remind you of any passage in scripture? The wise men? Remember, they're coming and they say, hey, look, there's a star and there's a king that's been born. Well, that's a problem for Herod because he is king. <laughs> and there's, the real king is actually being born now. So this is a problem for him. And so what he says to them is, he says, oh, you go find him and tell me where he is and I'll go worship him too. And what he means to do is kill him. So they find him. They're warned in a dream. They go another way. Herod figures it out sometime later. Herod figures out that they're not going to come back to him. So he goes to Bethlehem and does what? Every child two years and younger he kills. Every single one. Does that sound a little bit like that? But remember, this isn't, this isn't just that. Symbolism is working in a lot of different ways. Here, here would be another way where this trying to devour this thing comes about. You'll see it later. But, but just think about, you know, in our recent history. If you were looking at this through Israelite eyes. Is there a time in recent history when the Jews were tried to be devoured? See what I mean? These things are working out on all kinds of levels all the time. When we go to symbolism, man, we're in the rich fields. And there's all kinds of things that we can point to that happen in the world. But even then, the meaning is always greater. That's why you got to go to symbolism. Because you got to understand the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is... Jesus is being withstood. He's not devoured. He ascends to heaven unto his throne. Who's left? Oops, us. The woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. I'm going to do this really fast. Every other time that we've ever seen 1260 days, we are to take what from it? 1260 days. It means literally 1260 days. And we've looked at that over and over. Daniel's 70th week, and that's 42 months at 30-day months. But watch this little math, because a lot of people came up to me afterwards and said various things. I just want to do a little fun math for you. So this is geek time, all right? If, you, if you're not a geek, you can go ahead, and I'll wake you up in a second, okay? But I just want to do a geek thing with you about how, how deep you can go and how fun this can be. 1,260 days, okay? Now, Daniel says this. From the time the daily sacrifices stopped, Daniel's 70th week is seven years long, and at roughly the midpoint, 1260 days, we saw it last week, 1260 days, the sacrifice is stopped by the Antichrist. The two witnesses are killed. 1260 days. Now, when the sacrifice is stopped and the sacrilegious object that causes desecration is set up to be worshipped. This is the Antichrist. Antichrist. You worship me. Christ. Like the devil does. He wants you to worship me. So when the, anti when the abomination of desolation, the Antichrist comes and stands in the temple and says, worship me, all the world. See, the witnesses are dead. And he goes in and says, I'm now the one to be worshipped. His goal all along. Now, when that happens, then there's going to be another 1290 days. 
Blessed are those who wait and remain, who don't give up, who don't freak out, who don't give in. Blessed are those who hang in there until 1,335 days. Now watch. Geek time. 1,260 days of sacrifice protected by two witnesses, plus three and a half days bodies in the street, equals 1,264 days to the end of the sacrifice. Okay, end of the sacrifice plus three and a half. 1,264 days, right? Now we add 1,290 days that we just got from Daniel, and we get to 2,554 days, and because in seven years there's got to be at least one leap year, let's add a leap year day in there. And we end up with a number 2,555. A lot of Microsoft people in here already know the answer to this. What exactly is 2,555 days? Really? It's seven years. On the nose. Including the leap year. Including a leap year and a half. Because of the half day that we rounded. It's perfect. When we see 1,260 days up until the symbolism language, we are supposed to think 1,260 days. Which if you're in the middle of persecution and somebody comes along and tells you 1,290 days, and it doesn't just mean a long time, it means 1,290 days, do you take some comfort in that? Do you? You do, don't you? If you're suffering and there's no end in sight, the suffering becomes hopeless in you because there's no end in sight. But what if you're suffering and you know the day in which it's going to end? Can you hang on better then? Yeah. That's why he says hang on till 1335. I'm assuming, just a guess, but I'm assuming that seven years and then 45 days, Christ returns at the end of that seven-year period and it takes him 45 days to clean the whole thing up and it's over. So withstand to the 1335, and you'll be with Christ. And all the suffering that you went through is only for a moment. Now keep that in mind, because watch. We're going back to our thing right now. The woman fled in the wilderness where she's to have a place prepared by God, and she's to be nourished for 1260 days. Now I'm suggesting to you that that is literal, and we've seen places where it is literal. But I'm suggesting to you that it's also being used symbolically in order to communicate other truths, bigger truths. What does 1,200, when he says you're going to be protected 1,260 days, what is God meaning to communicate? What's he trying to say to them? Go ahead. It's interesting and it's along the right vein. Go ahead. Give me some, just in general, when, when you hear that you're going to be protected for 1,260 days, what does that do in you? Yeah. There's going to be an end to the time that you're protected. Yeah. <laughs> but you are going to be protected. The church, now understand, and again, I'm going very symbolic on you, and we could do this in great more depth, but I'm not going to. I'm already running a little mind. <laughs> but I want you to see something. See, we can do this on all kinds of different levels. You do realize that when Christ came, the church is protected right up until the Great Tribulation. That doesn't mean there's not persecution going on. There is. We're, we're praying for it today. But do you see it? There is a period of time in which the church is protected, but then there's a period of time in which she is not. And God has told us before, and let me say it this way. If God tells you that persecution is coming and then you enter into it, is it easier to handle 
If you've never known that there was going to be any persecution, and then all of a sudden it happens, what do you do? Where are you, God? What are you doing? This doesn't make any sense. This is not part of the program. I didn't sign up for this. But if God has been telling you over and over and over that there's going to come a time when you're going to be persecuted, and then it happens, it still sucks. But it's a lot easier to handle, isn't it? I'm going to go real fast now because, like I say, there's a whole lot more in here. But I just want you to get, now I want you to go back up and I want you to just, just what's the meaning? We've been asking these questions. We've got some, we've got some foundation now. What's the meaning as we hear these words? What do we think? Okay, war rose between the heaven to Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought back. He was defeated. There was no longer any place in heaven. The great dragon was thrown down. The ancient serpent called the devil, the deceiver of the whole world. He's thrown down to earth. Just real quickly, remember, what's that remind you of? Yeah, when, when Jesus sends out the 70 to minister, two by two, and they come back and tell him about the amazing things that have happened, people being healed, people being delivered. Jesus says this, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Now this is talking ultimately about the end when Satan, who is currently in heaven accusing us, is finally cast out altogether. It's over. And he's cast out of heaven, headed for the lake of fire. Okay? But it's happening now. He's being cast out now as we heal, as we bring healing, as we bring Christ, as we take people out of destruction and into life, as we deliver them from bondage, as we deliver them from Satan. See it? I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, the salvation and power and kingdom of our God and authority of our Christ have come. And it's coming, and now it comes completely. Now, not yet. Or not yet, and then, or now, and then not yet, yeah. Okay? And the authority of Christ. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. They've conquered him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. They love not their lives even unto death. They've conquered him by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ saving them, and the word of their testimony, I'm now living as Christ would have me live. I'm being persecuted for my faith, and I'm not responding in the normal fashion. I'm responding in the unusual fashion that brings someone to Christ. They love not their lives even unto death. The Christians singing hymns as the lions devour them. Throughout history, you have these extraordinary stories. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea. For the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Now in one sense, he's come down when the, when the guys went and ministered and he's come down. But there's an ultimate time when he comes down, great tribulation towards the end. And then it really goes to heck and we could go to the sixth seal and you could even see the cosmic disturbance. And I may do it next week, but I don't think so. It's kind of more minute than... But anyway, when the dragon saw that he'd been thrown down to earth, he pursued the woman who'd given birth to the male child. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle so she might fly from the serpent in the wilderness. Again, we're operating on many, many different language levels. But can you see that the, the woman did what? She flew away? Does that sound like rapture? But it's not just that. 
There's a lot more other ways that this reads. And it reads in a now context and it reads in a not yet context. It's reading all of these different ways because it's being communicated that way. And so he goes on. She's to be nourished for times, times, time and a half. The serpent poured out water, trying to sweep her away like a flood. The earth came to the help of the woman. The earth opened its mouth, swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman, went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. I wish I could do all these. On, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus, and he stood on the sand and the sea. He stood, what's just one last one, the sand. What's sand stand for? The people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, which we are too. It's not just Jewish people. We're the descendants of Abraham in faith. And he's standing on the sand of the sea. What's sea always stand for? The nations. So he's standing on, he's trying to stand on humankind. And what this whole story is about is the ultimate victory. He's got his moment, and it's going to come to an even bigger moment. But God wins. Now, God has beautifully, in a very short period of time, communicated the whole of the gospel story to us, hasn't he? He's told us the why. He's told us that there's something going on in the heavens that you don't get. He's told us that there's a bigger picture going on. He's told us all of these incredible things. And what we're seeing in that is as applicable to today having to do with persecution. There's other things we see and read from it too. But as has to do with today, I just want you to see this. You guys, go ahead and switch back over, guys. I want you to see something. I'm going to show you two more clips and then we're done. And what I want you to see is once again, well, you know what, just, just run them, because there's more than I could say, but I feel like I'm running too long. So go ahead and run it, and then I'll do it from there. When 500 jihad troops raided my village, Greek Christians were overwhelmed. I tried to escape, but they caught up with me. This is a reenactment. They asked me so. if I would convert to Islam. They said if I did not become a Muslim, they would kill me. I told my captors I do not want to convert to Islam. I said, just kill me. One of the Laskar Jihad troops struck my ear with a samurai sword. Then he sliced into my left shoulder and forearm and back and finally into the back of my neck. When they were cutting me with the samurai, I cried out to the Lord to help me. And they said, why do you shout to the Lord? Your Lord cannot save you from us. After the Muslims cut me, they covered my body with banana leaves and they tried to light them on fire but the leaves were too green and would not burn. In their frustration, before they left, the jihad troops stabbed me with a samurai sword, this time striking me in my back and legs. I inched my way along the ground until I found refuge in a nearby cave. Weak and bleeding from his wound, Johanna stumbled through the jungle for eight days, crying out for help. He was finally discovered by his brother-in-law and was taken to the hospital for medical treatment. While I lay weak and bleeding in the jungle, I prayed to God saying, I could not bear this trial anymore. I begged him to take my life, but I felt him telling me, this is not your time to leave this world. Today, Johanna sees the multiple scars on his body as badges of honor for Jesus. He says he forgives his attackers as our Father in heaven forgives us. Johannes has attended Bible school where he studied evangelism. He's joined a medical missions team to help provide urgent care to Indonesians in remote areas. 
I believe God allowed all this to happen to me because He wanted to change my life and use me for His purposes. Before this happened, I never dreamed I'd be an evangelist. Now, I want to be a missionary to the people of Halmahara. I pray for my attackers, that God will bless them. I want to see them again. I will thank them for attacking me and tell them that because of them, I have become close to God. I will thank them for attacking me. <laughs> I cried out to the Lord saying, I can't do this. And the Lord gave me a ticket saying, you can, and I've got a purpose in it. This is what gets us beyond. This is what takes us. God is doing a thing in us. He's warned us about it. So that when it happens, it's not a surprise. He's told us that it is for but a limited time and just to hang in there. He has done everything. And it doesn't mean it won't test you down to the very depths of your soul. But what it does mean is he will give you what you need in the moment that you need it. This is a kid that never thought he was going to be hacked. This is a kid that never thought this was going to happen. And yet what happened was I never thought I could be an evangelist. I wasn't worthy of it. All of a sudden, you're about to lose your life, and you begin to see life differently, don't you? All of a sudden, you begin to realize, what the heck? And now he can't wait to go into the mission field, and he would thank his attackers. It's totally logical and completely stupid. But it's true, beautifully true. One last one. This is not actually a guy who is martyred for his faith. He's just a Christian who's going through a moment of incredible persecution. And I just felt like it was the right one to end on. And you'll see why. We were on the work bus on our way to the banana fields. I was tired from studying late the night before. It was a typical morning until members of the FARC guerrillas stopped our bus. The guerrillas told us that they would not hurt anybody. That there wasn't anything to worry about, but we knew they were lying. Then they made everyone get out. They made us kneel down in rows. I was in the front. Many were crying or begging, but God gave me courage. I tried to stop my friend from pleading with the guerrillas. I told him that only God has control of his life. He should be speaking with God, but he just kept pleading for his life. No. Tu felicidad es grande, 
tu felicidad incomparable, tu felicidad es grande. At that moment, I believed I was going to die. My country has suffered from much violence. My father was killed by the guerrillas when I was only 16. And now, I will join him in heaven. I was ready to die, even if by the hands of terrorists. But then I had one regret. I had not told him about Jesus. It is interesting what one thinks about in their last moments of their life. I heard them yell to make sure everyone was dead. I had been shot in the leg and in the face, and was surprised to still be alive. And still, I wanted to tell them about Jesus. The guerrillas killed everyone. Seeing that man lay his hand on the one that tried to kill him with love as that man is in agony, that doesn't make any sense. That we come before your throne right now and we know that in Christ it's the way that we would want to act. We know that it's the way that you'll help us to act. God, we are thankful that we live in a country that we are not in fear because we believe. In Jesus' holy and precious name, though, God, we do not let that blessing become a weakness in forgetting those that do. And so in Jesus' holy and precious name right now, as a collected body of Christ, we come before your throne and we pray for 
the 163,000 that will die and the countless more that will suffer in every possible way. And we just say, God, hear our cry. Hear our hearts. We pray for them to be given that ticket. We pray for them to be in that moment where your bigger will is being done, where you are causing all things, even horrible things, to work together for good for those who love you and are called according to his purpose, your purpose. We come before your throne right now and we say, God, in Jesus' holy and precious name, give them that moment. Like the boy who was crawling and wanting to die and knew that it wasn't his time. Like the man who had a deeper purpose to bring someone who otherwise probably wouldn't have come to you. In Jesus' holy and precious name, like Isaiah in the temple, we say, Here, O my Lord, send me. Here, we, Lord, send us. And if you have thankfully not called us to martyrdom, we do not lay down the burden of those that you have, for they are our brothers and our sisters. All over the world, we are one in you. And we pray for them. We pray for them to be strengthened in their moments of need. And Jesus, we do not forget those who persecute them. And we say, God, the number of people that have come to you because they have acted as inspired by a deceiver. God, the whole world is deceived, even to us to some degree. We all need your penetrating clarity, your moment of insight. We need the light bulb to come on that special touch. And we're asking for it, God, for the ones who are persecuting, that they too would come to know the God who forgives all. A brother who is a friend who is trying to kill a friend, a, a man who kills another man and now is ministered to by him. God, your stories, God, your truth, God, your reality is so much bigger than we can even begin to imagine. So capture our hearts that we become vessels. In Jesus' holy and precious name, vessels to carry our brothers and our sisters to carry those in need to carry those who persecute that they might too come to you in Jesus magnificent name this congregation speaks with one voice and one heart make us a congregation that continues to raise up the cry before your throne. In Jesus' holy and precious name, make us the body of Christ. Thank you, Lord. Amen.
sorry. Uh, not quite sure what to do right now. I know we need to take an offering, and that's important. And if the ushers could come forward, but I think maybe we're going to do a little bit of an adjustment. And thanks for rolling with me, guys. But um, ushers, come forward and let the plate get by you, because thank you for your gifts. But when you're ready, come up. And you guys just play something soft and just keep something behind. And just spend some time at the altar here. And we're going to be dismissed. So if you need to go, I took too long. I'm sorry. I love you. Uh, and you can go, so don't feel bad about that. But if you want to come up and spend some time doing that, there is a lunch out here fundraiser for the kids too. But you know what I mean? Let's go ahead and let a Holy Spirit moment continue. So God, in Jesus' name, bless this offering. Do fill your church with the fullness of your provision that we might become the fullness of your church in every way. Show us how we can use your resources to meet the needs of your body and of your world. In Jesus' name. So like I say, just let the collection plate come past and then come forward if you want to just take a minute and pray. <laughs>